right, well, tonight we're going to look at this parable called The Friend at Midnight. It's The Friend at Midnight. Let me just read it for you real quick. Jesus says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything, Jesus says. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Thus be the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, that's, the par- that's the parable. So, Raise your hand if you've heard this parable before. Yeah, you guys are all like homeschool smarty pants. So you've all heard the parable before. So you already know what it's going to be about, right? It's going to be about prayer. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Now, how many of you, when I said that, you said, oh, man. How many of you, raise your hand if you said that. Come on, be honest. Oh, when the pastor says, today we're going to talk about prayer, I have a theory that a lot of people are like, oh. I should have skipped this day. So I have this theory. Some of you, like Karen over there, yay! You can talk about prayer, yay! I love talking. I'm good at that. The most of you are like, no. I have I have this theory. And my theory is that there's three there's three types of prayers, three types of praying people. Um, these are my um, three types. The first type I call the prayer warrior. He is a prayer warrior all the time. He's praying on his knees. He's got stories about how he asked God for things and God answered those things. He's got miraculous stories. You should see what you should see my prayer journal and all the check marks in it. God is answering all my prayers. He's always talking about his prayers and he's always telling people and preaching to people how they need to pray more like he does. You know what I'm saying? That's the prayer warrior. That's the guy that calls you on the phone. And you're like, hello? And he's like, hey, how you doing, Mike? It's good to see you. Hey, can we say a quick word of prayer real quick? And you're like, dude, I'm on the phone. I'm in my pajamas. I, no. <laughs> I don't want to pray with you right now. I never said that. I'm like, sure. And then i got to stop. What, anyone have to do this? Stop what you're doing. Awkwardly pray on the phone with someone you don't even know very well who's trying to sell you Bibles or something. Oh, anyway. So that's the prayer warrior. And then there's the prayer cynic. The prayer cynic is the guy who doesn't like the prayer warrior at all. <laughs> the prayer warrior irritates him. He rolls his eyes every time that guy tells a story about how, you know, God came through with a miraculous prayer. The prayer cynic has a hard time praying and doesn't pray because he's a cynic. <laughs> he thinks too much. He's worried about whether or not God really is out there or whether or not God really does listen or whether or not God really... He knows God doesn't speak like the prayer warrior is always talking about God speaking He's not quite sure that prayer changes things because he thinks too much and he thinks, you know, if God's sovereign, everything's predestined, how do I know I should pray? And then, and then he just doesn't pray. That's the prayer cynic. And then lastly, there's the, what I call the casual prayer or the social prayer. You know, like a casual drinker or a social drinker. That's a guy who doesn't drink all the time. He only drinks casually, you know, so, socially when he's at a party. So casual prayer is a guy who doesn't pray all the time, but only when he needs to. Maybe if someone said, will you pray for me? He says, sure, I'll pray for you. And then he says a real quick prayer so that he can make sure he did it, right? Or you're driving in the car, you hear a country song that says you need to pray, and so you say, yeah, I'm going to pray. Uh, how you doing, God? It's been real. Over and out, 10-4. Thanks for this chat. Or you get an email from the pastor, please pray for, you know, somebody. 
because they're sick, and they asked me to send out this email to the whole church, and then you read the email, and then immediately you feel guilty, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to throw up a prayer real quick. Lord, please pray for, you know, so-and-so. Thank you, God. Amen. But that's about it. They don't, they don't pray all the time. They just pray casually when they need to, and they don't really have like a prayer life. That's what the prayer warrior would say, right? What? Let's talk about your prayer life. And then the guy's like, I don't have a prayer life. I just pray every once in a while when I need to. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I made these categories up. I didn't get these from a pew poll. I didn't, get these, I didn't even get these from Wikipedia. I just, I made them up. This is the world as best as I can remember it. This is the way I see things. And I, I, had, I need to make a confession. I characterized the prayer warrior in a negative sense. Um, I guess there could be a prayer warrior who isn't so obnoxious, right? There could be a person who prays a lot. That's the person who you want to pray for you, you know? You know that, that guy that, or the girl, the, the person who prays really well, and you know that... They're praying all the time, but they're not obnoxious. And so I'm always running into obnoxious prayer warriors, but I know that there are quiet, soft, non-obnoxious prayer warriors. I may be completely wrong about these categories, but that's, that's, that's the way I have seen it. Anyone agree with me? Anyone think I'm onto something here? Okay. And, and truthfully, I can even say that this has been my life. I mean, there have been times in my life where I considered myself a prayer warrior or I was a wannabe warrior. And then there have been times in my life where I was very cynical. And then there have been times in my life where I'm just like, me and God talk once every the sixth Tuesday of the month, you know? Before we start, I, wanna, I wanna, want you guys to be honest. Let's talk about where do you classify yourself? Which one of these three are you? And because I made these up, maybe you're somewhere in between. You know, maybe you're not an obnoxious warrior, maybe you're not a cynic, but maybe you're somewhere in between where you want to be a warrior, but, you know... Or here's a different discussion question here. Describe your prayer journey throughout your life. Was there a time when you prayed more than you do now? How would you characterize yourself today? Are you a warrior, a cynic, a casual, or, or somewhere in between? Let's take about three minutes and discuss that at our tables. Raise your hand if you can categorize yourself as, as, a, as some sort of a prayer warrior. Maybe not the obnoxious kind, but some, some, someone who prays you like to pray. Okay, a couple of those. You guys are going to be really excited about this message, right? If I said, hey, today we're going to talk about prayer, you're like, ooh, goody, I love it. Raise your hand if you categorize yourself as a cynic. You guys are not going to like this sermon. In fact, you checked out three minutes ago already, so no worries. Raise your hand if you consider yourself maybe casual or something like that. Okay. You guys are cool, right? You're always cool, so you guys are going to be cool with this message, I think. And you're going to feel really guilty by the time it's over. Um, I need to tell you even more about the parable. The parable is about prayer, but before we get to the parable, there's a context above it where Jesus is asked by his disciples. His disciples see Jesus in the morning praying on the mountainside, and he comes down, and the disciples say to Jesus, hey, could you teach us to pray? In fact, they actually say it a little differently. They say, John teaches his disciples to pray. (laughs) Could you teach us like John teaches his disciples to pray? And Jesus is like, okay, and he teaches them to pray with the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is right before this parable. In fact, this parable is a footnote to the Lord's Prayer. Um, but Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is much shorter than you probably remember. And so let's, let's look at the context. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 11 in Luke. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone else who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus doesn't say amen, but I'll add the amen. Amen. That's it. Very short prayer, isn't it? And so I think this is fascinating. 
Jesus' disciples say, could you teach us, like John teaches his disciples, how to pray? And instead of Jesus saying, well, let me, let me open up some huge horizon. This, this is my um, uh, boot camp on prayer, okay? Here's my boot camp on prayer. And if you read it, it's not very long. And it's not really boot campish, if you ask me. A kid can do this. Um, the first thing that he says is kind of crazy, though. He says, um, say, Father. Um, that time period... Um, but still even today for a Jew, to call God anything but the sacred, you know, Jews don't even actually say, can't even say the name of God. You know that, right? They can't say, the word Yahweh is actually a, a, a word that they invented in order to make it safe for them to say his name. They couldn't say his name. So even if you stumble on a website today that's a Jewish website, you'll notice they'll put G-D. They won't put the O because they don't want to spell his name or say his name. It's a holy name. You cannot say it. Um, so for Jesus to teach his disciples, pray, Father, that would have been pretty huge. What? Talk to God as Father. But I want you to know that that is probably the most important thing. If you don't hear anything else, if, you've, if you're going to check out at, at some point, just hear that. God wants us to talk to God like a father. His boot camp training for prayer is not get into a lotus position, you know, do some yoga, clear yourself, it's not anything like that. It's just simply address God as Father. That's a big deal. And you'll see it as we finish this context, how big of a deal it is. But then after that, well, let me say this. Robert Capon says, Father, quote unquote, an opening that to me speaks not of someone with whom we will have a relationship after certain pious or ethical exercises, but of the one to whom we already relate to by Sonship. We don't have to approach God after we've cleared ourselves or cleansed ourselves or confessed. You know, we approach God just on the basis of sonship. More than that, it suggests that for both the disciples and us, the sonship we have is precisely Jesus' own, that we stand before the Father in Him. We pray, in other words, not out of our own dubious supplicative competencies, which is another fancy way of saying out of our own dubious supplicative competencies. <laughs> Not because we're good at it, thank you. Not because we're competent, right? Not because we're, look at us, but in the power of his death and resurrection. Or to put it most correctly, he, that is Jesus, and the Spirit as well, prays in us. Prayer is not really our work at all. When we pray, it's Jesus praying in us because in Christ we become sons and daughters of God, and so we can refer to him as Father, and because Christ is in us, we can refer to him as Father, and Christ is praying for us. The Bible says this, and the Spirit does too, and so it's not our work. It's not our supplicative competencies. <laughs> it is his work. The best way I can explain this is if you've ever been involved in a ministry in any way, like if you've been on a mission trip or you've done something where you, you served somebody in some way, don't you feel when it's over, you'll, you'll, you'll say something like, that wasn't me. That was totally God working through me, and, I, and that felt amazing. Anyone ever felt, felt anything like that? No? Just, man, we need to get more feelings like that in the room, okay? If you've never felt like that, then I want you to feel like that. Go serve, go, go minister to somebody, and you'll feel it. When you, when you minister to somebody, like, whoa, that was, totally wasn't me. That was God working through me. And, and, but in the same sense, you can't feel that, God working through you, unless you go to minister to someone, right? And then once you're there and available and you're present, then God works through you, and you can't plan it, and you can't say, God, I'm going to go out tomorrow at 2, show up, <laughs> and work through me. 
It just happens. And when it does, you're like, man, I wish I could get more of that. I, I see prayers the same way. You can't not pray in order to get this experience. You have to pray. And then at some points when you pray, it's totally God working through you, totally the Spirit praying through you, and you sense that you know it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. So right from the opening address, consider God as Father. Jesus, bam, 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 finishes this prayer. And it's super-duper short. It's so simple. It's unbelievably simple, in fact. He just basically says, Father, you're holy. May your kingdom come. Give us some bread. Give us some forgiveness as we forgive others. And keep us from evil. Amen. Again, it's not boot camp. It's, it's more like for dummies, don't you think? This is Jesus' prayer for dummies. Just pray for food. Pray for God's kingdom. Pray for forgiveness because you're going to need it. And... Um, Pray for guidance through temptation, because you're going to need that. It's just the basics of life. Nothing special. Just praying for simple things. Give us bread. Give us forgiveness. Keep us away from temptation, please. Pretty simple, isn't it? I think it is. And I think it's important because of this. Hear this. It's not rocket science, and you don't have to be a rock star when it comes to prayer. Jesus had an opportunity to like bring down theology on us, right? Lord, teach us how to pray. He could have said, do you notice how I'm up in the mountain all morning long? You should do that first off, okay? Every morning. You know, Jesus could have brought down the program, but he's not going to bring down a program. No religion here. He just says, God's your father. Just talk to him. Take the things that kids normally take to their fathers to your father. Bread, forgiveness. Help me with my temptations. No big deal. So all you got to do is talk to your dad. Robert Capon says, His disciples want religious training and spiritual formation. But Jesus apparently convinced by now that no human achievements, either religious or moral, can bring in the kingdom, gives only the barest bones of prayer. He doesn't give them religion. He gives them relationship. So then Jesus rolls into our parable tonight, the friend at midnight. And we're going to look at it. Let's look at it together. We'll just go verse by verse. First, Jesus says this. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Okay, the first thing we should hear probably is 3 a.m. Um, because we live in this century, and we have electricity, and we have late-night television. So most of us are probably awake at midnight. <laughs> and video games, right? We've got Xbox. And so at midnight is the time to watch... Johnny Carson. You stay up late and watch Johnny Carson, right? Arsenio Hall, Jimmy Fallon. In this day and age, people didn't have electricity, and they didn't have late-night television, and so when the big light in the sky goes out, they go out. It's too much work to light candles and read books. It's too much work. So you just go to bed at about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And so by the time midnight comes, you've been asleep for 8, 9, 10, 4 hours. That's REM, rapid eye movement, right? You're deep. You, ever, you know what deep sleep feels like? It feels great, doesn't it? I don't know what deep sleep feels like. We have children. Um, <laughs> but, when you're, but, but when you're deep into sleep, oh, it's amazing. And the last thing you want is to be woken up then, right? Because you don't even know who you are, where you are, what's going on with you. And so we should hear 3 a.m., not uh, midnight. Someone comes to your house at 3 in the morning. That's going to be disturbing, isn't it? Yes. Moving on. Um, and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. A little bit more cultural context. Um, in that day and age, hospitality was the most important thing. Your most important thing in your life can be to be hospitable. You want to be hospitable. So when a friend comes to visit, you want to lay out the red carpet, feed them a, a spread, give them your bed, take the couch. You, you, you want to take care of them. 
And they didn't have cell phones, and so people didn't warn you before they got there. You know, 10 minutes on my way, ETA, right? They just show up. It's midnight. We need a place to sleep. We, it took us a lot longer to get here than we thought. This guy doesn't have any food in his cupboard, so he's got a problem. Oh, no, I got a guest. I don't have any. Tomorrow is shopping day, and I don't have anything in my cupboard. So what do you do? You've got a big problem. I got a friend who's hungry. He's been on a long journey and day, you know, late at night. He comes to my house. I want to be hospitable. I want to give him food. I can't jump on my donkey and go to the local QT and get some Doritos and you know, beef jerky. What am I going to do? The only thing you can do is go to a neighbor. And you've got to go to your neighbor's house at three in the morning and say, I'm a slough. Some guy, you know, my friend came and I got no food and I'm hoping you have some food. Let me borrow the food and I'll pay you back tomorrow when the sun comes up. That's, that's the scenario. Jesus says, that man will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and get you anything. Again, more cultural things I need to highlight here. In that day and age, people had a house and it was like a one-room house, just one room. And at nighttime, they would roll out the mat and everyone would cuddle in together on one bed. And that's how they kept warm and that's how they kept tight, <laughs> right? And that's, that's just how they did it. One bed, one, one room. Can you imagine sleeping with all of your kids, HJ, in that one room and your dog over here, you know, sniffing at your feet? Unbelievable. Sometimes I've had to sleep with my kids. Like when we go on vacation and we get like a, uh, we always get um, a double in, you know, in a, it's like a double queen or whatever, which is like twice the size of our bed at home. It's huge, but it's still not big enough because they always fight who's going to sleep with mommy. And then Jonathan gets to sleep with mommy and then Josiah gets stuck with daddy. And he literally, if this is the bed, instead of sleeping like this, he sleeps like this and he's kicking me all night long or he's got his face in my, it's just some, it's, I hate it. I cannot sleep with my children. You pick them up at night, you know, you're like, yeah. And then you lay down. Next thing you know, he's pushing, this little kid's pushing you, big kid, off the bed. Anyway, so that's what they're doing. They're sleeping in their bed, and he's saying, I can't get up. If I get up, I'm going to wake up my children. And that is the last darn thing I will ever want in this universe. Amen? I don't want to wake up my children at 3 in the morning. Are you kidding me? And climb over them and then stumble around in the kitchen for a lighter so I can find a candle so I then can stumble around some more and look for some bread and then step over the dog and then open the door and let all that cold air into our nice, warm, cozy home just so you can have... No, I'm not doing that. So you see, this, isn't, this guy's not being rude. He's being practical. In fact, the other guy is rude. I, you're, how rude of you to ask me to do that? <laughs> to get up wake up my children. Why are you making your problems my problem? <laughs> In fact, I'm going to make my problems your problem tomorrow when my kids are screaming all day because they didn't get sleep. You know what I'm saying, right? I'll move on. I tell you, though, Jesus says, he will not get up and give, you, give him anything because he is his friend. So as a friend, he's going to say no. Everyone would say no to that statement. But because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And here's what I want to say. All my life, I've heard the story that goes like this, but because of his persistence, he will rise and give him what he needs. Raise your hand if you heard it that way. Yeah. Uh, the ESV says impudence, 
which I don't know what that means. You can look it up on Wiki. But here's the way I've normally heard it. Because of his persistence, which means he continues to bang on the door and he continues to ask for the bread, basically being loud, waking up the kids and the dog and the neighbors as well, that the man has no choice but to get up and give him the bread that he needs. So let's apply that. You bug God long enough and he'll give you what you want. And that doesn't work, does it? See, I, I want to share with you why I think that's not an adequate way to translate that word. The first reason is because in Greek, it's not that word. <laughs> in Greek, the Greek word is literally shameless, not persistence. It's shamelessness. Um, we'll come back to that, though. But I, w- I want you to see that a lot of the, uh, the Bibles do a good job showing us shameless. Um, the NIV says, yet because of your shameless audacity. Uh, English, what I just read from, is impudence. The New American Standard, the NASB, says because of his persistence. So NASB says persistence. That might have been the sermon I heard. The pastor was probably using NASB. Um, King James says importunity. And the New Living Translation, which tries to make everyone happy, says because of his shameless persistence. (laughs) (laughs) But the Greek word I want you to know is shameless. Another reason why I don't think it's a good Um, interpretation or it's inadequate is because it turns prayer into a way to manipulate God to get what you want. Bottom line is you pound hard enough, you ask long enough, you keep bugging God long enough, and eventually he has to give you what you want because the Bible parable tells you that. And that basically just turns God into a candy man or Santa Claus, right? Not only that, but I have kids and that doesn't work on me. You beg me and beg me and beg me, and then eventually I'm going to say, you will never in your life ever get that thing. (laughs) Not only that, but it contradicts what Jesus says somewhere else about prayer. You might remember this. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't just say things over and over again. God knows what you need. Don't, Don't be banging on the door. By the way, that's the very definition of religion. Can I just say that? Religion, whether it be ancient Mesopotamia, Assyria, Babylon, Jewish, Christian, Islamic, it's all the same. Religion, by definition, is act a certain way, and you can manipulate the God to do what you want him to do. Ancient Babylonia, sacrifice a pig on the fourth moon of the second year or whatever, and that deity will have to give you good crops. Sacrifice your firstborn, you'll have to get lots of children, those kinds of things. Pray, prostrated, you know what I mean? God will have to answer your prayers. It just doesn't work. That's, that's religion. That's, and that's not what Jesus is teaching, is he? The disciples wanted him to. Give us some religion. I want some true religion. And he says, just pray to God like a father. I am aware, Robert Capon says, of the more usual persistence wins interpretation. But in fact, persistence doesn't win anywhere near often enough to be held up as the precondition of God's answering prayer. And I will not let you hand me that cheap, cruel bromide that when persistence doesn't win, it probably wasn't real persistence. Tell that to someone who asked and sought and knocked till her knuckles bled for a child who eventually died of leukemia anyway. It's a good point, isn't it? If this parable means persistence works, then I know a lot of people who can say, but it didn't work. In fact, I, know, I have a lot of friends who are either uninterested in prayer or uninterested in God because it didn't work. I asked for this, and he, didn't even, he wasn't even listening. 
Where was God when I needed him most? I also like this quote because, to be honest with you, there are a lot of books and theologies floating around in evangelical Christianity. A lot of them I've read. A lot of them I've liked. I loved the prayer of Jabez. Do you remember the prayer of Jabez? You pray the same prayer every day for 40 days, and then God's going to bless you, and you're going to become a warrior. I'm still Mike Satterfield. Less of a warrior now than I was then, because then at least I had some hope that on the 40th day, you know, I was going to have it all. It didn't work for me. I don't know. Anyone prayer Jabez work for you? I've read some books that say something to the extent of, and I'm being um, sarcastic, is if you pray 77 times on seven days a week on the, on the, for seven months um, and then at 7 p.m. and 7 a.m., and then God will have to bless you seven times what you actually asked for. Have you read things? I've never read a book that said those things exactly, but something like that, right? And I like those books because when I read them, it makes me want to pray more, and it makes me want to pray more for things. This thing, God, I want this thing. And this guy told me that when he prayed for this thing, you gave him this thing, give me this thing. Again, turning God into a candy man, not a father. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be persistent in prayer. I mean, that is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that persistence can't be used as a twist arm on God to make him give you what you want. You should be persistent in prayer. And you, you, you would be hard-pressed not to be persistent in prayer if you were the woman who has a child with leukemia, right? Or if you had you know, a husband who was going to leave you. Or if you had a child who was lost and you wanted that child to be saved, you would be persistent about that. But I, what I am saying is, I'm not, what I'm not saying is you shouldn't be persistent. What I am saying is that persistence can't be used to manipulate God. Moving on. The Greek word is actually shameless. All right, so let's get back to what it really means then. It means because of your shamelessness, God will answer your prayer. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we look it up in the dictionary, that might help. Um, the good old Wikipedia dictionary says, shameless means lacking any sense of shame. Don't you just love it when dictionaries do that? I mean, I could have written the dictionary. <laughs> shameless means lacking shame. <laughs> Thanks for that. Immodest, audacious, insensible, to disgrace, showing no shame. He has no shame. Sometimes it helps to hear it in a sentence. Let me show you a sentence. I'm shameless, shameless as a man can be. You can make a total fool of me. I just wanted you to know. And I'm standing here for all the world to see. There ain't that much left of me. That is very far. You guys recognize that song? Yeah. Some of you probably recognize it from a country singer from the 1990s. But I want you to know that there was, it was actually written and performed by someone who did it more justice. Anyone know who actually wrote it and performed it originally? See so who? Billy Joel. Billy Joel rolled it just one year before Barth Grooks performed it. And Billy Joel did it in uh, Stormfront was the name of the album, Stormfront. Billy Joel did a much better job, I think. My wife likes Barth Grooks. But what woman in the 1990s didn't? Capen, save me. What? <laughs> Here's Capen. What is this shamelessness but death to self? People who lead reasonable, respectable lives, who are preoccupied first and foremost with the endless struggle to think well of themselves, do not obtrude upon their friends' privacy at midnight or 3 a.m. And why don't they? Because that would display them as thoughtless beggars and make them look bad. So if you've been paying attention to this entire parable series, you know that we've landed on our theme, right? Here we are, again, being least, last, little, a loser 
or dead. Shamelessness means coming to the end of yourself and saying, I, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm being shameless here. Could you just give me just three loaves of bread? I promise to pay you back. I'm so sorry to wake you in the middle of the night. Could you please do that for me? Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not assuming that you will. I'm not twisting your arm so you have to. I'm at my, I'm at my wit's end. I'm as Barth Brooks said, there ain't much left of me that has very far to fall. I'm just at the end of it. It's, I do it on purpose, Greg. I do it on purpose. <laughs> you like Barth Brooks. It's, a, it's bothering you when I say that. Interesting. I'm, I'm feeling a little heat coming from this side of the room. <laughs> One, I like Billy. Do you like Billy Joel? You ever listen to Billy? You know Billy Joel and Barth. <laughs> Billy and Barth. They actually performed that song together. Yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's pretty good. Dara Bach, a professor at Dallas Seminary, says, One view of God says that God knows what his disciples need and is sovereign, right? This is the, this is the, this is the skeptic's problem. So disciples should not bother him. <laughs> Rather, just let him do his will. But Jesus' parable stresses that need to approach God badly, or boldly, excuse me, with requests. Just be shameless. And here's, here's the thing for skeptics, because I know there's a lot of skeptics in the room. If you're a skeptic, being shameless means praying, period. Right? Like, I don't know if God exists. I don't know if God's going to answer my prayers. I don't know if prayer changes anything. Okay, but be, to be shameless means, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to pray. And I feel like a fool. I feel stupid. I don't even know if you're out there. But here's me being shameless. God, if you're out there, <laughs> do you hear that? That helped me, I think, a little bit as a skeptic. So just do it. Just try. Don't worry about it. Don't stop, stop crying. <clears throat> Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you, he already taught them the Lord's Prayer. He says the parable, and now he's going to say more about prayer. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Wow. I just want to tell you that this verse is a pretty powerful verse. You could take it completely out of context and put it on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or a coffee cup. And it would be very powerful. Let's just boil it down to a coffee, coffee cup, okay? Ask, seek, knock, and you'll receive, you'll find, and the door be opened. Jesus. Pretty powerful. And then Jesus tags on another line, for I tell you, everyone who asks, seeks, knocks, it will be received, opened, I mean, you'll, you'll find it, and the door will be opened to you. Jesus. Pretty powerful verse, isn't it? If you were here last week, we discussed it. What does that mean? What is it? Does, does it really mean that? No, it can't really mean that because I've seeked, I've asked, I've knocked. But Jesus said, everyone. So what does it mean? It means, I don't know. Uh, let's just go on. Um, if the verse means, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If the verse means anything, it is a clear invitation, I think. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, man, if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, it will find. If you knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks, that's a pretty compelling invitation, isn't it? Just, 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 just ask God to seek. He wants you to seek. Box says, the point is not that one gets exactly and always what one asks for, but that God supplies graciously in terms of the request. God's ready to give, so ask. 
That's the point. The point is, you're, you're not a friend at midnight. God wants to answer your prayers. You don't have to beg him for it. Just come to him. Try it. There's other verses in the Bible that say that, right? Try it and see what happens. Well, Jesus ends this scene on prayer right where he began. I want you to see this. He's pointing us back to God the Father. He's going to drive the, the point home in case we're really slow, okay? He's going to compare God to a father again. Here it is. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, thank you, Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's break this down real quick, Charles. You're a bad dude. Not all the time, but down in your heart you are. If your kid asks you for a piece of fish, you're not going to say, I hear you're in the mood for fish, but what about this? Snakes! <laughs> no, no, no father would do that to their kids, right? Dad, you're being weird. I don't want snakes. All right, what do you want? All right, forget about the fish. How about eggs? I like some, me some eggs. Can we have some eggs? And your dad says, I don't have eggs. What about I give you a goose egg, huh? I'll give you a stinking goose egg, you little brat. Or better yet, scorpions. How about I just throw scorpions at you? Dad, stop. No, no one would do that, right? No father, even though we're wicked, we're evil, we make bad choices, we're imperfect, we would never do that. This is sort of a silly illustration, isn't it? Why would Jesus give, it kind of doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus doesn't normally talk about scorpions for sure. Why does Jesus say this? I'll tell you why. Because you think of God like that, don't you? We do. We think that God doesn't want what we want. He wants us to be stung or bitten. Raise your hand if you think I'm onto something. Like, like, let me give you some illustrations. Let's say you like a girl and you want to marry her. Oh, I really like this girl. I want to marry her. Probably something you should pray about before you commit your life to someone, don't you think? But then you say, oh, I don't want to pray about it. Why? Because God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be miserable. If I tell him I'm going to marry her, he's probably going to say, no, you can't marry her. He wants me to marry some missionary, you know, who's no fun at all and probably ugly. (laughs) That's what God wants for me. So I'm not going to pray about it. Raise your hand if you think I'm onto something. Oh, you're getting a job offer. It's on the table. It's going to be lucrative. You're going to take it. Of course, it's lucrative. That's all you needed to hear. Um, Probably something you should pray about before you commit your life to a job or a career. No, no, I'm not going to pray about it. Why? Because God doesn't want me to make money. He wants me to be miserable. He probably wants me to be a missionary. <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to pray to him. Because if I ask him for a job, he's going to give me a serpent. If I ask him for a wife, he's going to give me a snake. Right? That's what we think about God. Jesus knows what we think. And he says, look, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your heavenly father, trying to tell you he's your father, he loves you. If you ask him for something, he's going to give you what you need, what's good. He's not going to make you eat a snake, or he's not going to throw scorpions at you. He's not going to make you marry a missionary, (laughs) okay, or become one. Not not, not necessarily, he might. But in the end, you'll be happier if you did that anyway. But that's not what the sermon's about, so I'm rambling. Let's move on. (laughs) We don't trust God. We don't. So... Let me wrap it up. 
Jesus starts off with Father. He tells us a couple of parables. He tells us this really weird one about serpents and snakes. And in the end, he's wrapping it all up to say, it's all about your God is your Father. Just, if you want to learn how to pray, don't watch religious gurus. They don't know how to pray. If you want to learn how to pray, look at children. Look at the way children talk to their dads. That's how you should pray. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not boot camp, not, you know, warrior Christian prayers. It's just talk to your dad. He loves you more than you love your kids, in fact. And when you ask for something, he's probably going to try to make it happen for you. That's how much God loves you and wants you to pray to him. But I, have to, I can't just end it here because it would be not a very good pastor if I did. <laughs> Jesus doesn't just drive the point home about Father. He says something kind of strange, in fact. Um, he says, if you want to learn how to pray, here's the most important part. Pray to God as Father. But then he says this. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The end. That's the end of our section tonight. And I don't know about you, but I think that you and I today respond the way I think the disciples probably respond then, which is, the Holy who? What are you talking about, Jesus? I thought we were talking about eggs. I was getting kind of hungry. <laughs> asking God for food, you know, daily bread and such. Why did you go off talking about the Holy Spirit? What's that got to do with food? What's that got to do with what I want? We think that. I think that. You know, what is that? It just ended with this Holy Spirit thing. What's that all about? Box says, the passage is not simply a blank check request, but a blank check request for the necessities of the spiritual life, such as those mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember that? In the Lord's Prayer, he said, food. Daily bread, forgiveness, lead us away from temptation, amen. That's it, just the basics. Not rocket science, just basics. Now Jesus is going to wrap it up in the end saying, God will give you the Holy Spirit, and that is the basics for your spiritual life, your spiritual food. All you really need is the Holy Spirit who will pray through you, and that's all you need. You're worried, you're stressed. We're going to talk about that next week. You're worried, you're stressed, you're, you're frustrated, you, you've got problems, you've got issues, you need protection. Spirit's going to be there for you on all of those things. All you really need is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in us, and He convicts us of the temptations. He guides us. He gives us ultimate intimacy with God. <laughs> Let me give you a couple, couple of quotes here. Do you remember when, when Capon said this? Jesus and the Spirit pray in us. Prayer is not our work. Jesus said, look, you want to know how to pray? I got, a, I got one better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't even know how. You don't have to ask me again to teach you to pray. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He will pray through you and for you. <laughs> Pretty crazy, isn't it? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said it's better for him to go away. Because when he goes away, then he can give us this thing called the Holy Spirit, which would be inside of us and pray with us. I don't know about you, but I would think I would be better for Jesus to stay. It'd be better if I could call him up and say, how you doing? Got a problem. I got your phone number in my storage, you know, my five. And it'd be better, wouldn't it? Jesus says, no, it's better for me to leave so that I can give you the Spirit. So whatever the Spirit is, it's a pretty big deal. Jesus saying, God will give it to you if you ask. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we, as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's in us, and he's praying for us and through us. So let me conclude. 
I was actually kind of excited about this message because I know that there are people here at Missio Day who struggle with prayer. Uh, and I've confessed to you that I, I struggle with prayer. I, I, and prayer is not on my top, you know. It won't be on my obituary. He was quite a prayer, you know. <laughs> um, I'd like it to be. Billy Graham prayed every day for like two hours before he started his day. Wow. I'm not like that. Maybe when I get older. So I know there's a lot of people who struggle with prayer, and I, and I, thought, I found this extremely encouraging. It's not about praying a certain way. It's not about praying persistently. It's about just coming to the end of yourself, dying to self and saying, God, this is what I need. I'm shameless. I just need you. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do it. I need you to do it. You in me. And when we're there, I'm almost confident that God answers our prayers that way. He does. The only story that I can think of right, real quickly is when Kelly and I left the job that I had, you know, making the big bucks as a youth pastor at a small church. But those big bucks paid our mortgage, and we had full income in, insurance, medical insurance, and we had a house. And we had three kids. We still have a house. And three kids. Still have three kids. And when God was calling me to plant a church, it's like, you're going to have to, you know, raise support, send out letters, beg people, become shameless. Please support us. We've got a vision for a church, and, you know, it's going to be awesome. You should give us your money. <laughs> and I had to do that, and I'm not good at that either, you know. The first time someone said no, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is no fun. <laughs> no, I cannot be shameless. It's not in my DNA. God didn't say, here, you start asking and the money will come, and then that will give you the confidence to quit your job, and then you'll have the money, and then everything will be fine. God said, quit your job, twiddle your thumbs for a couple of months, and then I'll show up in a big way. And when I do, you'll know it was me. And my wife always says that we always tell each other, God always waits to the last minute to prove that he's there. He doesn't do it beforehand. He doesn't say, hey, I know you're about ready to make a big step. Let me just encourage you a little bit. Just checking the mail. Sometimes he does that, you know, but, but I'm saying that most of the time he says, trust me, become shameless, get to the end of your rope, boom, I'll show up, and then you'll know it's me, and you'll thank me, and you'll praise me and worship me and give me glory, but then you'll forget. <laughs> so I'll have to do it again. Is it true? It's true. It's not rocket science. God loves you. He's our father. We should pray to him like a father. He gives us the Holy Spirit to pray for him. It's not complicated. Jesus could have made it complicated. He could have said, here it comes, guys. Here it comes. Lotus position. He says, nope. It's all about your father. Now, I want to wrap it up and put it on communion. And in order to do that, I think this is the best way. The only way that God can be our father is because Jesus was his son. And Jesus died on the cross, was buried, was rose from the dead. And he promises that when we die when we become least, last, lost, little, when we give up our life, when we become shameless and die with Christ, he resurrects us to a new life, one in which our father is his father, who become part of the family. And so we can pray to God as father only because Jesus is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us and we have already died and resurrected with Christ. And so let's wrap it up and pray, take communion and worship. <coughs> Father in heaven, we get to call you Father. We get to say Father.